0: Good morning, everyone. I greet you in Jesus' name. I'm happy to be here. It's special to be here. I appreciated the songs and the uh, opening about our Good Shepherd who laid down His life. I appreciated the emphasis on resurrection, a resurrected Savior, because commemorating the death of Jesus without a resurrection would just be a memorial service. But this is much more because Jesus is alive. I want to begin in Luke 22 and read just several familiar verses there. <clears throat> beginning at verse 14. <clears throat> Luke 22, beginning at verse 14. <clears throat> and when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come and he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them saying this is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of me likewise also the cup after supper saying this cup is the new testament in my blood which is shed for you our communion service is a remembrance, a service of remembrance, remembering Jesus. Uh, it is the and His work on the cross. It is the reasonable worship of the redeemed in a close and spiritual fellowship with God as we worship here together. Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And as a Christian, as Christians here this morning, Jesus Christ should be our dearest friend and our only Savior. And what Jesus accomplished for us by His death on the cross is our most precious memory, And one we should reflect on often. It is the most significant event in our you know, looking back in the things that have affected us. Nothing has had such a favorable impact on a Christian as what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. But what makes that more meaningful to us is to also remember some other things in history. And one is remembering when communion was lost. The first communion, it wasn't like a service, but communion with God was in the garden. Adam and Eve and God. God was literally present there. He talked with Adam and Eve. Uh, They talked face to face. There was openness between them. There was no sin, no guilt, no barriers. All was joy and bliss and light, perfection. Eden was the name of that garden. Literally, pleasure, delight. The word paradise comes from the Greek form of this word used in the Septuagint. Adam and Eve knew and worshipped the Creator, and they had communion with Him. But in the garden there lurked a serpent, and we know that story, so we'll not repeat it here, but there followed the fall of man. And that event opened to Adam and Eve a whole new dimension of knowledge and experience that they had not had before. They knew things ugly and awful that they had not known before. Now they knew guilt. They knew despair and distress. They knew condemnation. And most awful of all, there was a fear that they had not known before. That of facing God. They were afraid of facing God. And they covered themselves and hid. And that evening they heard God walking through the garden. And I can imagine their hearts were pounding. And they were holding very still in the bushes or wherever they were. Where are you, Adam? There was no escaping God. It was a time of sorrow, a time of anguish as they stepped out to meet with God. The loss of Eden. They were driven out of that garden. There was the loss of communion with God. Their own relationship was strained as well as relationships of their offspring as with all mankind who have all been affected ever since. So what did they remember? They must have thought often. Adam and Eve must have thought often about how it used to be. You know how older folks sometimes talk about the good old days, which sometimes with... The passing of history looks more golden than they really were, but for Adam and Eve, this truly was the best time, and it was lost, remembering Eden, the garden with God, and surely they mourned and wept for what was lost. There was a note of hope uh, for them in the promise that sometime there would be a deliverer. It was a little short on details from Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Short on details but they needed to remember that promise of God. I believe they held to it and hoped for it and hoped that it would be soon. But their loss of Eden was fresh and terrible to them, and they would never forget it. And they would always remember that communion lost. We don't know how much they passed on, but surely they told Abel and Cain about this and their grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great. How it used to be, Adam was still living when Noah's father was born. But the memory grew dim of whatever they shared and whatever was passed on to others. The memory grew dim. And only two, Adam and Eve, had actually experienced the uh, communion of Eden. And that that memory was deeply impressed on their minds. Communion lost. Now we'll go forward uh, twenty five hundred years or so, and the children of Israel are in. I mean, yeah, the children of Israel were in the wilderness, and they had just recently experienced a a great deliverance from Egypt by the mighty hand of God. But that deliverance did not make them holy. And it did not restore that communion with God that Adam and Eve had in the garden. They were still a stubborn and sinful people. And they easily slipped into the sinful practices of their neighbors and to evils that they had learned in Egypt Exodus. the exodus had not cleansed them from their sins. Though it refers to them as being baptized in the sea when they passed through the, uh, the Red Sea, they were not cleansed by that experience. But God at Mount Sinai had instituted a special day. He had Moses lead out in that... In Leviticus 16, it describes the uh, Day of Atonement and the procedures that were to be followed, the confession of sins, the sacrifices for the high priest and for the people, the sprinkling of blood for the sanctifying of the altar and the tabernacle and the holy place, those things. And Leviticus 16, verse 29 says, It shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever, an annual, an annual event, every year, every year, every year, a statute forever till it be fulfilled. And it forced them to remember, we are sinners. I am a sinner. There was no getting away from it. In Hebrews ten, first several verses there in Hebrews ten, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And in verse 11, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So they were commanded to sacrifice, and they did for the atonement of sin, a covering for sin, but it didn't take away the guilt. It left them powerless to forsake sin. They could not change themselves. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of it. For though thou wash thee with niter and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. And several chapters later in chapter 13, Jeremiah said, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may, he also, may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. You cannot change yourself. And every year at the Day of Atonement, they were reminded, I am a sinner. I am a wretched sinner. And some of them, I hope many of them, truly worshipped and loved God. And there were among them through the years uh, exceptional and shining examples of faith and of a close walk with the Lord. Enoch, Abraham, Moses, David, the early Solomon. But I would think that the Day of Atonement uh, must have left um, a a kind of discouragement, uh, a desire, a deeper desire For something better, at least among those who were godly and had a godly understanding, there was a longing when Jesus came among godly people for the coming Redeemer. There were people that were looking forward to that, looking forward to the Savior. And then Jesus did come. Fifteen hundred years or so later, Jesus came, the promised Savior. And God, that God had promised. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Paul said in Galatians, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He gave His life a ransom, a shepherd for the sheep, like we saw in uh, what Rich read this morning from John 10. And it wasn't a life to save our physical life that is still subject to death and as many noble heroes have done for others, but it was life for spiritual life, for eternal life. It's interesting to notice That when Jesus hung on the cross, there were those mockers that went by in Matthew 27, verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou destroyest the temple and buildest it in 3 days. Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in 3 days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. And likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we'll believe him. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And in Luke 23, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And in verse 39, one of the thieves which were hanged railed on him saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. So the mockers were saying, Save yourself, save yourself, and then we'll accept that as evidence and we'll believe in you. Which wasn't very likely. But the truth was, the truth is that Jesus didn't come to save himself. Jesus came and died there on that cross to save us, to give his life a ransom. And save he did. Hebrews 7, verse 25. <coughs> Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hebrews 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, Now, that's a genuine cleansing. There's forgiveness. In Hebrews 8, verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And again in Hebrews 10, Verse 17, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. We remember, he forgets. Satan's power was broken, so it's possible for Christians to live in victory. Hebrews, the second chapter, and verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And in Galatians, Paul again, uh, 2nd chapter, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And communion with God is restored. Communion restored. Uh, turn with me to the second chapter of Ephesians. I don't intend to uh, to make a lot of comments about this, but I would like to read through it and for you to read with me as we go through this. <clears throat> because it, uh, Paul here is is uh, emphasizing, teaching us that we were lost. We were separated from God, but God, who is rich in mercy, delivered us and raised us up to sit together in heavenly places. Ephesians 2. Thank you, Rich. Ephesians 2. And you He made alive. I'm reading from the New King James here. And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember, that word remember, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time... You were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We remember that we were lost. But God, who is rich in mercy, And because of His great love, raised us up together in heavenly places. Communion with Him. We had no deliverer. There was no deliverance. There was no hope. We were separated and far from God. But now we are brought near through Christ. With God. With our brothers and sisters. He is our peace. He is our peace with God. He is our peace with one another. We have access to the Father. We have access together to the Father. We're no longer foreigners, but we are God's family. We are God's brotherhood. There can be love and communion among God's people. Communion restored. When we have communion with God through Christ, we can have communion with one another. And we limp. And this is a work of Christ in us, an ongoing work of Christ in us, to raise us higher up into the heavenly places, and to grow us in our love and care for each other. We limp, we stagger, we falter. We need help. We need God's grace. But God is here, and it is possible, and it is happening. How grateful we are, how grateful we should always be for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, most of us have had some kind of deliverance or other. Some of them more uh, more wonderful and more, more were more greatly relieved afterwards than others, but you know, like a a biopsy result comes back clear, or some awful crisis that seemed to be looming is averted and we're spared. I I have told this to a number of you. I don't think I said it in a sermon, but I had a little deliverance a couple of years ago, and Six, uh, I think it's six over six years ago now that I was in an accident. I rear-ended a a, a late model an expensive Mercedes, and everybody walked away, and that was great. Uh, the driver, an elderly lady, was at least I took her to be elderly. Maybe she was my age, but uh, she was very gracious but I felt awful about it understandably and I reported it to the insurance company and heard no more for quite some time. And um, a couple of years later, there was a lawsuit that came out of it. They had not settled. A personal injury lawyer had the case. I might add he was a very aggressive personal injury lawyer. There was a deposition which was uh, very unpleasant for me. I'm not the type of personality that enjoys that kind of thing. The driver, owner of the car, was sitting across the table from me, the gracious lady. And during a break, she mouthed to me, I was the one in focus and being questioned. Uh, But during a break, she mouthed to me, I'm so sorry. That was the one bright spot. And still no settlement. And then a court date was set, which I dreaded with a great dread. I probably let it get too big, but I really did dread it. It was months away, so I could kind of push it out of my mind. But every time I thought about it, it was kind of heavy, you know. And uh, this dread was there, and as it got closer, it got bigger, So a couple weeks before the date uh, of the trial, I emailed the lawyer and just asked, is there any preparation that I should be doing? Uh, Could we run over some things so I know what to expect? Whatever. This was the insurance company's lawyer. And uh, so I was working out back and uh, doing something. And Martha came out to the back And she looked kind of radiant, and she said that, called to me and said that the lawyer called, and he said that was settled out of court months ago. And somehow I had not been informed. But that didn't bother me very much. Talk about relief. I just felt such a great relief and gratitude. I had been praying about it but I was very relieved, and I was also a little smitten. And this was what smote me, how grateful I was about this little deliverance and how much more grateful I should be for the deliverance through Jesus Christ. And it helped me to think about it in that way. It was a good reminder, good lesson for me. I think about the Apostle Paul. You know what kind of man he was and how he was uh, viciously opposed to Jesus Christ and the followers of the way. And we know the story about his... um, how he met Jesus on the way to Damascus, and we don't know what all went through his mind. Between the time that he was struck down on the road by the light, and the time when Ananias came to restore his sight. But he never forgot what he was delivered from. I think he reflected on that and His deliverance often. In 1 Timothy 1, here are some verses that make me think that. 1 Timothy 1.15, He said this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Uh, The New Living Translation says, And I am the worst of them all. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. In Ephesians 3, 8, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace is, was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And it was Paul who said, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. Though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. It was Paul who wrote, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. The New King James says it. And Galatians 6, verse 14, But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's Paul writing from the heavenly places in communion with God so grateful, so thankful, so devoted to his Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. I've wondered what his first communion was like. We don't know. We know he he uh, was at communion services. It mentions them in Acts time or two. But every communion was very special to Paul, I believe. And we remember Jesus. We remember today not communion lost, though we have lost our communion sometimes, haven't we? And it's not the reminder that Israel got on the Day of Atonement, I am a sinner, I am a sinner. But we're reminded I am a sinner saved by grace. We remember Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Deliverer, who loved us and died for us. And we're eternally grateful to Him. We love Him and we're devoted to Him. May God bless each of us as we commemorate this communion service.